Welcome to Equestrian Movement's First Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our First Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling and husbandry for an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today I wanted to talk about what is required to bring your horse back into work after a break. So this Sunday we will be going and collecting our school horses and our personal horses from their holiday home up, uh, it's about an hour and a half west of us. Over the holidays they get five weeks break where they get turned out to, I think it's about 10 acres or so of grass, basically. (laughs) There's nothing else. They get checked once a day, they have access to water and grass and other than that they don't see people at all. So it's a really great opportunity for our horses to just go a little bit feral and forget that they know what humans are, give them a mental and physical break from us so that we're ready to kick off the year fresh. Quite often I will find by about term four, the horses will start to get a little bit more dysregulated, a little bit um, less tolerant of what we ask of them, and they are well and truly due for a break. The way that we structure our training sessions for the year is that we do 10 weeks on, two weeks off. There are three days in the second, in the two weeks off, which is camp, which is very emotionally straining to the horses. Uh, But other than that, they end up with a good 11 days break uh, in between those 10 days on. On a daily training week, sorry, on a weekly training session, uh, they can be expected to do uh, three to four days of uh, one to two hours of exercise. That exercise is uh, variable with regards to um, you know how long they spend in walk. I like to do fifteen minutes to half an hour in walk with uh, warming up exercises, developing connection and tuning exercises, relaxation into contact. So really they're getting about an hour a day, three to four days a week of trot and a little bit of canter work and some jumping. Uh, The only difference is when the horses have to do their beginner lessons on the lunge, we'll do 15 minutes. So the beginner lesson goes for half an hour. So they'll do 15 minutes of walk, Um, just doing like maneuvers of steering and halting and that kind of thing and then 15 minutes of trot. So that 15 minutes of trot is quite intensive to them because they're carrying an unbalanced rider. 
They're not trotting for the full 15 minutes. They're standing while the rider practices standing up and sitting down. And then they're doing periods of trot coming back to the walk when they can feel their rider lose their balance. So that looks like um, frequently (laughs) when we're first starting the rider. And then as the rider gets more balanced, then they will continue to stay in trot. That is something that I've specifically trained into the horses because I want them to stop if they're uncomfortable uh, because the opposite option they have is to speed up or get grumpy or angry. So uh, they tell me that they're uncomfortable when their rider is losing their balance. So in particular, if they feel their rider going a little bit behind the movement, sitting further to the back of the saddle or tipping forward a little bit too far, they'll come back to the halt and then at the halt I'll get the riders practicing doing their squats to find their balance over their lower leg before they go into the trot again. Another uh, time that the horses will choose to stop on the lunge is if the rider hits heavy on the back of the saddle. The reason why I'm telling you these little finer details is because when we're looking at the fitness and conditioning of a horse, it's one thing to talk about um, their personal endurance so if you're a 100% balanced rider you're still hard to carry because you're changing where their center of gravity is and so they have to brace out a little bit to kind of counterbalance us in the saddle and then when we put our hands into their mouth that also shifts their balance as well so if we're you know steering more with our hands than our legs then We're going to be pulling on their head, so our hands are pulling them off balance, and so they have to counterbalance against our hands. That is quite often the most common reason for seeing the overdevelopment of the underneck of the horse, is if our hands are pulling them off balance, then they're going to be bracing down and locking down through their shoulders, what we would call going on the forehand, and they're going to brace against our hands through their neck and their jaw and their shoulders so that we don't pull them off balance. So within, you know, a training plan, there's a lot of variables of what efforting and condition is required of them to carry the actual rider. So obviously the more balanced you are, the less you use your hands, the easier of a um, ride you are to carry, the more unbalanced you are, the more you kind of hit the saddle a little bit hard because you've lost your balance, the more you're steering with your hands, the more difficult it is for the horse to carry us. And so the more strength and conditioning work would be required for a shorter period of time of work. So when we're looking at our beginner riders that are working on purely balance, uh, the horses will do a maximum of two riders a day. And I try to only have, you know, two to four new riders max a week because it is very taxing on the horses to have unbalanced riders and it is definitely you know the the more we kind of stretch our relationship there and our friendship there for asking them to carry more beginners and unbalanced riders the more just overall uh, grumpy their demeanor gets because of how difficult it is and how taxing it is on their body. So I I try not to start any more than uh, two new riders at a time so that they're not doing beginner riders every day. And then they, I won't get them to do two more than two beginner riders a day. So, you know, I would consider a beginner rider 
as a rider who is unable to maintain their balance for, say, like a lap of the arena in trot, where they're not using their hands to hold their balance, they're um, established a strong, secure lower leg, and they're balancing over their longer leg, so they're starting to establish their core and their seat muscles to hold that balance independent of the horse. So all that to say is that there's variability in the type of workload that a horse has that dictates how long they might participate in a particular lesson for, uh, and the more balanced the rider is and uh, the less they unbalance, the less unbalancing they are to their horse, the easier it is for the horse to carry so the they don't have to work so hard. They don't need as much condition. So coming back into work, uh, the rule of thumb that I've been taught is that the horses maintain uh, their condition, their muscle mass, their endurance for two for up to two weeks of a break. And then every week after that, they lose condition by half. So when we're looking at our breaks throughout the year, so they get um, three breaks throughout the year of two weeks, I am not too concerned about the loss of condition, muscle mass, and their overall um, athletic condition. Uh, But when they have the five-week break over Christmas, we can see that they drop a lot of that athleticism and that fitness and muscle mass condition quite uh, quickly. So when we come back at the beginning of the year, we're going to take it a little bit slower. Something to recognize is that if you've done your cue training well, they won't lose their understanding of the communication and the cues. And so this was something that really took me by surprise as I was doing a lot more um, professional training and whatnot when I first started out in my career, is that I could have a horse that I'd spent, you know, maybe six months with on training and then, and only doing once a week. So some, some of my students, I would just go out and ride their horse once a week for them. And so, uh, for some of those riders, though, you know, if I was doing that consistently for six months and we were working on that queuing, uh, and then one of them had a break for different personal reasons for five years before she got me back in to jump on her horse. And that horse had retained all of that cueing and communication work that we'd done. And I see this very consistently time and again, is that if we do our cueing work well, where the horse understands how to answer our aids, then they actually retain that really well. There is a slight uh, caveat to that where each rider is going to apply those aids slightly differently. So they might get confused if they have a new rider riding the same aids just because of placement and balance. Like we all have different leg sets, shorter, longer, further forward, further back, you know, different things like that where we can uh, particularly confuse them on placement. In particular, one of one of the times that this really became a problem was with a horse that I had on braking. And the way that I teach the canner lead is that I use the outside leg to tell the horse to get ready, we're about to canner, and then I use the inside leg for the strike off. So I specifically train the canner lead this way because it means that you can very accurately nail 
uh, the canter lead and the timing of the canter strike off. So when you're doing a dressage test and you need to do your canter transition at the letter or your simple changes and they need to be very accurately with the shoulder on the letter, and then also with our babies is that there can be a lack of clarity in the seat aid with getting that canner transition and particularly uh, when they're green and they haven't established their balance very well yet and they're still not working uh, through their back well yet, you trying to use your seat to get the canner aid can hollow them more. And so, you know, I'd got the horse very confident in its cannon leads uh, and then another trainer took it out to a show and couldn't get the cannon strike offs and it's because she was using her CA to get her cannon leads which you know is what we're all taught uh, but then the horse didn't understand how to uh, pick up the cannon leads from the CA. And then it did end up with uh, developing an issue once she got the horse cantering off the seat aids where the horse wasn't then strong enough to get the correct cantilead to the right because of the way that she was using her seat to drive. And so then the horse couldn't lift through the shoulder in the back. So there are reasons to my crazy. <laughs> uh, and the reasons are just to make the whole process be the easiest it can be for the horse to be able to actually do what we're asking of them and also to understand what we're asking of them. So these cues, the horses don't lose just because they've had a break. They retain them as um, something that they've learned, as information that gets stored in their brain if we've trained it well. Obviously, if we've trained it through fear and submission uh, and the horse's don't really know why they're supposed to respond like that and haven't really associated it to a cue yet, that doesn't work. But when we are patient and we're clear and we give the horses the tools to solve the problems and look for answers, then um, the cues stick. So we don't lose the quality of the cues for a break, but we do lose the quality of the condition for the break. And that was something that as an amateur rider, I didn't yet understand how to tease apart because it felt like when my horse went on a break, when I'd bring it back into work, they'd forgotten everything. And it wasn't necessarily that they'd forgotten everything. It was just that they'd lost the condition to do what I was asking them to do. So even though they knew how to answer it, they couldn't effectively uh, do it because they were out of work. So we're really teasing apart there the difference between uh, the physical development of the athleticism and the athletic skills versus the horse's understanding of their cueing and what is being asked of them. So bringing the horses back into work, the biggest stress on the horse's body is carrying the rider. When uh, the muscle development is not there for carrying the rider, you'll see them hold through their underneck, they'll balance into their shoulders, they'll hollow through their back, and they'll drive out from their hindquarters and they won't engage, uh, keep their hindquarters stacked underneath them. So you can, you know, picture that, right? You can imagine that if you are a four-legged animal and you've got somebody sitting on your back where there's no stability other than your core muscles, then your back is going to sag, your shoulders are going to splay out forwards, your neck is going to brace to try and hold that balance, and then your pelvis is going to tilt and push out backwards to create that forwardness. So what we're looking at when we bring them back into work is a lot of like core stability and push-up style exercises where we're inviting the horse to take 
the tension and the brace out of their neck and then do um, something that's like a push-up that creates forwardness. So for example, um, one of our exercises we call stretch and stack. So we invite the horses into long and low and to, to take their head down and release their neck and back as much as possible. And then we uh, roll them back onto their hindquarters with our seat and then take up contact with their mouth, ask them to hold it for a period of time, invite them back down into relaxation. If they're doing that well, then we might introduce a transition to trot while we're holding that contact. Or if they're doing it well in trot, we might introduce a transition to canter. So those upward transition pops are like doing a little push-up so that we're going to develop more um, strength and tone of the shoulders in the thoracic sling to be able to better support the weight of the rider and balance the rider whilst maintaining forwards. That alone, however, can get the horses a little bit stuck in their forwardness because we need to be incorporating um, some lateral work for them to have the mobility of their shoulders through the turn. There is a lot of weight bearing required for them to sit into their haunches and to maneuver their shoulders. So the tighter you want the turns, the faster you want the turns, the faster and tighter you want the turns, the more stability and weight bearing they need in their hindquarters and then more mobility we want of the shoulders. And so that's why we're always talking about half halts. We're always talking about shifting the balance back into the hindquarters. We're talking about having the horse off the forehand, trying to get them to work without being hollow, is that if we want speed and mobility, we need to lighten the forehand. But what does the horse do? Is they're gonna put their weight and their balance into the forehand because it's easier for them to carry us there. So the more unbalanced the rider, the more the rider uses its hands to steer and stop, the more the horse is going to put its weight onto the forehand, be on the forehand, work with hollowness and hold its balance by bracing its underneck, disengage the hindquarters. And so that's what creates the hollow back. And then also the um, lack of fitness and condition of the horse to shift their balance onto the hindquarters and, uh, you know, hold through their core. So they're... I don't like the term of lifting up through their back because it's not uh, very accurate in what they're doing when they're traveling with forwardness, but you can feel the difference between the back hollowing and dipping away from you and uh, stabilized and supporting you. So there is like, you know, a neutrality of the spine where we're not broaching the back to try and push it up into us, but it's also not sagging away from our weight and collapsing because there's no strength to support us. So we're looking for that neutrality of spine and then the mobility of the shoulders with the relaxation of the neck. And then we've got our relaxation and swing in our forwardness. So to get back to that condition after a period of time, my more experienced riders will be doing our stretch and stack exercises with uh, transitions and poles and grids and then complementing it with our lateral work of serpentines, leg yields, spirals and um, maybe like a little bit of shoulder for uh, to introduce to them because that uh, group of riders will be working towards collection this year. We'll also be doing a little bit of our bend aids from contact and um, maybe like 
slight shoulder for work from contact with our in-hand work as our warm-up. So uh, aside from the hour of ridden work, the group riders also do half hour of groundwork before they ride. And so we might be doing in-hand work or matching steps or matching steps at Liberty, um, you know, walk shot transitions on the ground and maybe little jumps because this allows the horse's body to warm up and move freely independently of the rider before we then put the rider on and ask them to carry as well. So side tangent there. Uh, but we'll also be doing a little bit of like, you know, shoulder four to um, bend work just from using the, the rain aids on the ground before they ride. So that is our more experienced riders that are going to be able to do that. And then graduating back from that, bringing the horses into work for our less experienced riders is going to look like a little bit of leg yield and circle work just in, in walk and then walk to trot transitions with little periods of canner and some poles and maybe some little jumps. I find that the poles and the grids are very helpful when we're working on building that neutrality of spine and the stability of their core if we com can complement it with relaxation to contact. So it is a very good exercise and it is um, helpful <laughs> because it makes it more interesting for the riders where we uh, give the horse the invitation to relax the neck and stretch the neck and open the gullet so we're doing those transitions down into relaxation and then up into contact and then coming into say a small grid like it doesn't have to be high or even poles so our beginners will do you know even 10 centimeters is their jump so we ask or invite the horse to follow the contact down into a stretch and open their gullet and then pick them up up into relaxation to contact and then we can ask them to go through the grid and that is our best chance of really you know developing the thoracic sling the activation of the neutral spine and the squat power of the hindquarters to maintain engagement and then that also brings into the conversation of like the horse's mental tension. Can you get them to slow and relax purely from your breath without your contact? Because if you're using your hands to try and slow them down coming into the jump, then they're going to brace their neck and go on the forehand and so they're not going to jump correctly. So just by adding a little bit of difficulty to that exercise by putting a jump in front, it can really just bump up the skill of the rider for being able to regulate and steady the pace through the breath and maintain relaxation while we also have act activation of good posture for holding the rider. So that's a really good exercise for um, strengthening that core posture and stacking that neutral spine. And we want to think about it in terms of like jump efforts, right? So we've got um, these jump efforts, these grids, I think about as like a, a muscle conditioning set, like if you were doing weights. So, you know, one set through like one time through a grid set is like one set of weights. So they go through that as like two push-ups, and then maybe they'll have a walk break separate to more of like endurance work. 
where we might um, be looking at, say, like if they're going to go and compete, they were going to do a dressage test, they need to be able to maintain the forwardness of the paces for the full five minutes. So the horse needs to, you know, have the fitness and condition to be able to trot and canter without a break for five to ten minutes to be able to go out and do their uh, contest. So that would be more of an endurance style of training. I mean, 10 to 15 minutes doesn't sound like much to a lot of people, but uh, when I was learning how to run, 10 to 15 minutes was a very long time of continual running. So we do need to take into consideration the endurance of the horse to be able to sustain that trot and that canter for a period of time without a break is part of their conditioning work. I really like if we have the opportunity to do this conditioning work on, say, like an open trail hacking out. So when I've been competing and I have my horses in comp work, you know, I would do two to four days a week of just like hacking out and trail riding and grids uh, with only one to two days of dressage work because of the efficiency of the cross training, right, is you can do all of your posture stacking work on a trail, you can do all of your contact work on a trail, and you can build the horse's endurance to be able to hold those working frames and to have that dynamic movement by going, you know, long and low to contact, um, shortening and lengthening the stride, periods of sit trot, those kinds of things. You can do all of that out on a trail and you've just got nice long straight lines where we're purely working on endurance and fitness. And then you can come across into your grid work where you're you know, really able to get the development and the strength of the top line by getting relaxation to contact and relaxation and then um, popping them over jumps. And then, you know, that's all of your cross-training and physical development required for your dressage movements, then when you go in and do your dressage movements, they're a lot easier because of the fitness and cross-training from the other movements, but also your horse is more mentally fresh. One of the biggest problems we have with drilling arena movements is the horses going sour and getting bored and getting sick of us trying to perfect our 20-meter circles. So being able to have, you know, two to four rides a week of out in the open, something that's like mentally stimulating to their brain and only working on the quality of the movement, say one to two times a week, then we're really going to create that variety in the horse's training to try and alleviate some of that mental sourness from the repetitive drill work and still be able to develop the fitness and the condition and endurance. And in my opinion, far better than we do from drilling the arena work. And to really get the most out of the horse, you want to be paying attention to their levels of fatigue so that you're stopping before they tire. If they're starting to mentally or physically fatigue or tire, then you're not going to be using, the horse is not going to be using itself correctly or to their best functional movement. As soon as we get tired, we compensate into our own little uh, conformational weaknesses. So if you've got a horse that likes to lean on the shoulder, as soon as it starts to tire, it's gonna start leaning on the shoulder. If you've got a horse that likes to twist the hip, as soon as it starts to tire, it's gonna twist and drop the hip. And so then you're purely training 
a horse for crookedness and then you're developing the crookedness. So even though you might feel like you're getting gains short term because you're progressing quicker, long term, you have to come back and iron out and straighten out all of that crookedness that's developed because you weren't giving appropriate breaks. So as you can see, there's quite a lot of variables to factor in when we're bringing our horses back into work. With the school horses, what we will be looking at is our more experienced riders will be doing, uh, to begin with, really nice long open gates of uh, stretching down into relaxation with very short periods of holding themselves together into contact in combination with uh, getting those little grids happening with relaxation to contact and uh, long and low stretches in between and complementing it with uh, some of our lateral works serpentines leg yields and probably the spirals will come later maybe about week five so that they've got some time to regain some of the muscle strength of their haunches and then uh, a little bit of in-hand work with just slight angles of shoulder four graduating down to our less experienced riders we'll be doing stretch and stacks stack exercises they're still learning how to relax the contact down to the buckle without feeling like they're out of control so the complementing exercise we do to that is um, we do the walk to trot transition trot to walk transition on the buckle with their seat so that they're starting to learn how to call the horse back to the walk with the seat before they can let go of the reins altogether. Once they know how to call the horse back with their seat, then they can be comfortable in trot and canter without holding the mouth. And then, um, so they do little periods of time of walk, trot, transitions with uh just on the buckle so the horse is in a stretch so that they're learning to use their seat which is its own little strength training exercise to the horses and then um, periods of time in the working paces and then little pops through the grids if they're up to it and they're learning circles and laterals so that means that they're still using a little bit too much contact for it to really that lateral work to be really beneficial as a suppling exercise for the horses and then uh, we've got our beginners that do um, lots of stretch stacks and halt transitions with their seat so they're learning how to use their body and uh, then periods of time in trot on the lunge so we will keep those periods uh, short as the horses develop the strength all the while listening to the horses willingness to move forward from the leg so that is your best indication of the horse fatiguing is when you get the resistance to forward you want to try and stop before you're getting the resistance to the forwardness uh, so that you've got you know the horse willingly spending energy uh, willingly wanting to go into trot and canter without um, having to hustle them into it because all of these horses know how to answer forward from the age if um, they're not moving forward from the leg then and we're having to use say like a lot of pressure to create forwardness then we want to really think about why the horse isn't willingly moving forward 
So within the school, quite often it's a lack of balance issue with the rider. The horse doesn't want to go into trot because they're worried about the rider losing balance. So then we're going to go back on the lunge and work on balance work. But other situations where the horses might lose that willingness of forwardness is uh, being the hands, the contact being overridden uh, and them not knowing how to answer, the aid, uh, having too much bit pressure or confusion of what is being asked of them or then just that general physical fatigue where they're starting to tire because we're not giving them adequate breaks between um, their reps of muscle building exercises or uh, we've stretched that in endurance period for too long so as you can see like <laughs> this is one of my favorite conversations and topics to go through uh, if you would like some support with the conditioning element of your horse feel free to reach out just send us an email um, we have got parts of our uh, holistic horse rider program together and we're looking forward to continuing it for the rest of this year uh, otherwise until next week happy trails if you're loving what you're learning in the podcast you've got to come check out the arena classroom the arena classroom is our community for all things training for connection where we delve into exercises to build our horses trainability process emotion and build emotional resilience where you can get individual help applying our tools like consent, communication, confidence through curiosity, connection, and so much more. It's where you learn a level of communication and connection that will blow your mind and other trainers will tell you it's not possible. It is a safe community where you can learn training tools not shared on the podcast that will open up that connection and will further build your confidence in you and your horse's potential so that you can stop doubting that you're good enough for your horse and questioning if you're doing the right thing. It's where you can come hang out and connect with other first do no harm trainers just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will revolutionize what you believe to be possible with your horse. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.equestriamovement.com forward slash the arena classroom.